0: Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous: A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2015, and today we are reading from the Big Book on page three, a Bill's story, starting with paragraph one. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Dennis M. The 12 Traditions, Mary H., and reading the text today, Chelsea H., Martha Z., and Elizabeth S. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, November 2, 2015, is 8166. 8166, The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps.
1: Well, thank you so much, um, Melanie, and good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful recovered compulsive overeater the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One... would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs past.
0: Thank you, Janice M. I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Mary H. in Connecticut, recovering compulsive overeaters. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first.
2: Public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And
0: 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Mary H In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the one speaking, should be muted. Today, we resume the study of the Big Book on page 3 of Bill's story, paragraph 1, and I will ask Chelsea H. to begin our study. Good morning, Chelsea.
3: Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. So I'll unpack that a little here. Um, this whole idea for me of reading it, the Roaring Twenties, what was happening then the cra- before the crash, and this whole idea of um, I had arrived. When I look into identify in with this, I can look at my own disease that I was at, at this portion of the progression of it, where I had arrived when I came to um, New York, When I got to New York, I left my job, I grabbed my sweater off the back of my chair, I was working in Atlantic City, and off I roared to New York City for my geographical cure for what ailed me. And there were many things that were ailed me. So my judgment and my ideas were followed by uh, paper millions. And when I think of that paper millions, what I really look back to is um, the whole idea of, um, and we agnostics where they say that our lives were made out of tissue. How flimsy is paper, right? So at this point, my life was constructed out of paper, millions, and pipe dreams, and I found bulimia. And that's my seething and swelling that was going into me, because if you look at those words, seething and swelling, it's getting bigger and bigger. And what happens to think about a balloon as it uh, blows up? What happens? It's going to pop the roaring twenties, the crash, it, it built up. And then that happened. Same thing with me pulling into drive-thrus, going into eateries and in New York after theater meals, and then going somewhere to get rid of the evidence, going in some corner somewhere to, to regurgitate in a bag so that later I could dispose of it somewhere else. But I would do that. That was my paper millions, my um, disease, I had arrived, but I can flip the script. When it comes down to being recovered, I had arrived. Or when it comes down to getting as thin as I wanted to, I had arrived. And as I look at it like that, again, something that's flimsy, because I'm relying on myself on all these different things here. My judgment, my ideas, all broken, and I'm still relying on them. So eating and purging and abusing laxatives, it, it it was hot. I could do it. And I was in the jazz clubs and hearing people all around me, all the other bulimics and all the other different dancers and stuff, you know, you can do this and you can do that and you can eat all you want. And I'm like, I'm in heaven. I had arrived. But, you know, the whole issue was, is that something that's that flimsy as tissue that my life was constructed out of paper money, very flimsy. Not the kind of flimsy read that I would find later that would save me, that would turn out to be my divine director and pull me out of this mor- um, morass. I was scoffing. I was scoffing, and I was scoffing at the people who were still in the food. And I have to ask myself sometimes as I read this about the fair-weather friends, am I a fair-weather Friend to my fellows, or am I just available as a recovered person, or am I only available for those who are doing the program correctly? Do I identify in and see that my judgment and all was wrong here at this time? I go back and do pages one through eight as the assignment I was given originally, and I identify in. I try to do that at least once a month and see where I'm at. Where have I progressed spiritually? Has my spirituality taken on an exhilarating part of my life? Or am I still running around chattering in paper millions, scoffing at the program? As an agnostic, am I scoffing at prayer? I'm supposed to be working the steps exactly as written. So I'm grateful to read this from many angles and to read and identify in that the progression of my disease is what caused me to get into this thing. And, and I will never arrive anywhere. Because every day, a day at a time, I'm given directions of where I'm supposed to be, not where I think I should go to arrive somewhere. So, so many, many things in this paragraph, and I'm just grateful to be able to read this book and identify in of the progression of the illness. Thanks a lot, and with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Chelsea H. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Ronnie from Boston. Larry. Kathleen O. Katie D. I'm I'm catching you. Hi, Sally. This is what I have so far. I have Katie G. I have Kathleen. I have Marcella. I have Larry K. And I have Sally A. Who did I miss?
1: Ronnie
0: P. Ronnie. And one other behind Ronnie.
1: Tina
4: S.
0: Tina S. Tina S. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll stop with that right now and we'll then begin our sharing with Katie G. Good morning, Katie. Hi, Melanie, it's Katie. Can you hear me? I can, thanks. Okay, sorry. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G. I'm both over at our anorexic and bulimic, and um, I recently had the privilege of looking at this. Like,
2: <clears throat> I
0: had arrived. I had arrived in the program, right? Like, in my adult life, I've been 228 and 110, and here I am. I had arrived. I'm in a thin body. I'm in a relationship. Look at me. Look at me. Um, Look at me exercise. Look at me go. And um, I went back, you know, and looked at in recovery, like, how my ego, like, was thinking, you know, I'm cured now. Like, I'm thin. Like, look at me exercise, guys. And um, I made a host of fair weather friends. Like, I was spending hours upon hours upon hours in a yoga studio, and I would be friends with the people that were the most competitive, right? Like, we were up in the right-hand corner of the room where the hottest heater was, and um, and they – might have wanted to be like loyal friends to me and kind friends to me, but you know what I was thinking? I was like, "What does their stomach look like? What does their butt look like? Am I thinner than them? You know so it wasn't even available, you know softers could soft like here I am i'm k d g and um I didn't recognize like um You know, how my ego was taking over and how I had been assuming that external things that my body size meant that I'm recovered and cured and wasted so much time um, looking for approval and affirmation. And I wasn't a friend, not the kind of friend I get today. And, you know, today as a result of living in recovery and uh, and abstaining and um, having moderate commitments around my exercise and my body weight and things like that. I actually have real friends. You know, today I have friends who are not afraid to tell me, you know what, Katie, that's not okay. You can't be dishonest about work and about exercise. You can't be dishonest um, and want to live and want to not eat, frankly, because what is one of the easiest ways to go back to the food is to be dishonest. You know, and the lies I tell myself, oh, this is okay. I'm not that bad. Look at me. I've arrived. I'm good. You know, and um, it's like what if, what if I'm exactly the woman I'm supposed to be? Right now, in this moment, and I have nothing to prove, and I'm so grateful for the miracle of recovery in my life, and the miracle of all of you who are real friends. You know, who teach me how to be a friend, how to mess up and and apologize, and um, to show up a day at a time, <clears throat> whether I'm messing up or not. Usually, messing up because I'm living my life, and um, and thank you, God, that I don't have to prove. You know that. That um, I am right now, and and I don't have to arrive. I am exactly who I am right now, and and don't have to choose death. Thank you, God. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. I want to run through the list again. The next one I have is Ka- Kathleen, then Marcella, then Larry K, then Sally A, Ronnie P, and Tina S. Thank you. Good morning, Kathleen. First initial of your last name, please. Oh. Oh, great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Good morning to you.
5: Good morning. Thanks, Melanie. This is Kathleen O in California, currently still in Virginia Beach, and I love how Bill talks about, um, you know, he moves around, he he has these brilliant ideas, and he really did have some brilliant ideas. Um, I had a lot of brilliant ideas, too, not as brilliant as his, but brilliant in my own mind, and I I had good ideas sometimes, but most of the time I did not have good ideas. And why didn't I have good ideas? I didn't have good ideas because I was consumed with thinking about food all day, and I was so into my ego, me, 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 I, 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 I knew the answers to everything, Um, I just was so tied up in my ego, and, and then I couldn't even think straight, because all I could think about was the food, how am I going to get it, where am I going to get it, Uh, you know, and and I tried things like moving around, too. It's like, oh, I'll try a different city. I'll try a different job. I'll try a different boyfriend. Um, none of those worked because, guess what? I was always there. I was a common factor in all of that. And and so finding finding this program and finding these steps, putting the food down, realizing that, you know, the idea that I could ever eat like others with impunity had to be smashed. And I've... I've been doing this for about 11 years and have been successful but there have been times where i do have that built-in forgetter and if i don't work this daily if i don't put the time in daily the rest of my day is shot and pretty soon i do think i've arrived and guess what pretty soon i have these thoughts that mental blank spot that mental twist oh i can eat like these other people i can do this i can control this so i have to remember every day that i'm powerless I, have, I, I wake up and I, I ask for the grace to say, stay surrendered, to remain humble, remain willing, and do service. And and because of that, when I stay out of my ego, my days are so much better. And I have absolutely no desire to, to pick up the bite. Um, I, I You know, it's the holidays. There's the stuff that's coming around that I used to love to eat. And I saw some of it in the store yesterday. And I was just amazed that I looked at it and had absolutely no desire for it. And this is such a gift and such a blessing, and I, um, I'm i just grateful for it a day at a time. Thank you. This is Kathleen in California, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Kathleen O. Marcella M. Um, good morning. Is it my turn? Yes, it is. Good morning. Marcella,
6: hi, Melanie, again. Marcella, Compulsive, Recovered composer over here. So happy, so joyous, and so free, and so grateful um, to be with you again And still in the bubble of the convention, from which I'm not planning to land any time soon. The line that I understand this morning is, my judgment and ideas were followed by many. Um, And here we are, you know, right here, right now, following the same guy, whose ideas were at some point so erratic, and so crazy, and frankly, so suicidal. And right here, right now we're following the same guy, the same guy's ideas. So what happened? What happened in between and now, right? For me, um the biggest lie I've always told myself when I was eating compulsively or starving compulsively was that I was only affecting myself. And I'm not Bill and I'm not worldly famous and I don't want to be, but I always affected somebody when I was active in my addiction. Always, always, no exception. Even at the end, when I was completely isolated uh, with my bottle of tequila and my peels and my Oreo cookies, I was still affecting others because I was not showing up for the job that God had always expected me to perform. So whether I want it or not, people are going to follow my judgment and my ideas because I affect others with my behavior. So now that I'm recovered, eating is not an isolated, it's not a private act. I was raised in a tradition in which we bless the meals before and after. And and people would say, religious people would say, it's it's a work, it's something that needs to be done with awareness. I, I never understood that one until now that I'm, in the midst of you, every single bite that I take, either gets me closer to you and my God or farther away from you and my God. Every single bite. Everything, the act of eating has become a deeply spiritual act. It's a work of love. Whether you're not seeing me while I'm having breakfast, every single abstinent way i measured, beautiful, colorful, nutritious, Vie that I eat is the seed of hope for the people that, in God's time, I am going to work with and and that has become true to me, and recovery cannot be faked it cannot be you cannot pretend to be recovered because it's not ours <laughs> it's God's always so that's what I believe so much in recovery because you see all these beautiful radiant bodies that include. The, the the you know the slim body the fit you know the shape, but go goes way beyond that, you know the vibrancy the the joy of life, the willingness and the patience and tolerance to work with others and 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 just like the joy, the sheer attachment to life, and I'm so full of so content and so hopeful and 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 the higher power of blessing for the We spent hours in the beach. I thought I didn't want to hear to limit any of the secrets, but God had a different plan for me. And I'm so so grateful that now I'm working with a, a committed on fire newcomer who's one hundred percent um ready and she got abstinent during our work our
0: retreat. And for that I am in awe of the miracles that have been performed today. And with that I'll pass. Thank you, Marcella M. Larry K.
7: Good morning, Melanie. Thanks for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsible Reader. You know, all I ever wanted um, was to be your pal. Um, I, I didn't, n- not your friend, really. Um, I wanted to be your pal. I wanted your praise, I wanted your acceptance, and I wanted your love. You know, in some ways, I can really identify with Bill's experience. You know, how many times under the pretense of indifference did I try to conceal my true aspiration, which was for praise, your praise, praise from others? And, you know, if a a wall would have shown me love, I would have stuck to it like spaghetti, you know. and, And in my early 20s, you know, fresh out of college with an undergraduate degree, I immediately went to work to make a name for myself. And... You know, and I so desperately wanted to separate myself from the pack. And in that state of self-centeredness, you know, for the next few years, fortune did throw, you know, come my way and threw a bit of money my way and a whole lot of applause. And soon, you know, the the urge to be better in the eyes of other people was replaced by the desire to be more powerful and more important than other people. And I, and I, And I'm sure I felt like I had arrived but my inflated ego certainly convinced me that I, that I was something special, you know, because people much older and wiser than I, you know, were listening to me and they were, they were feeding an ego that was terribly misdirected. And like Bill and so many other very capable but, but spiritually misguided people, the disease of self coupled with an alcoholic mind like we have, it would take me down off that golden pedestal. And you know, at that point along my trajectory of life, I thought you know this life was kind of like a game, in w- in which the people who cultivated the best strategy for themselves, they proved to be the winners. And yet, yet you know, the disease would outfox me, and it would eventually bring me down off that mountain. And um you know, uh, I made a lot of fair weather fan- friends. You know, the translation there is when when one is superficial, self-centered. Full of false pride and dishonest. They tend to attract like minded people into their cave of of deceit and self deception. And that's precisely what I did. And, you know, finally, you know, let me say that for me, this spiritual disease manifested itself in lots of insidious ways. I mean, the binging took on uh, greater proportions. And of course, my body got bigger and bigger. But so did my resentments. And from these, those resentments stems all forms of, of, of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. And the good news is, thank God, there was a solution. Because I'm not that same self-centered guy that's looking for that to be your pal, to get your praise and acceptance and love. You know, now I'm, I'm trying to do God's will. God's will, which is much better than mine. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Larry Kay. Sally A. Good morning again, Melanie. Good morning, my friends. Sally A. in South Jersey. So good to be here with you guys on the line. So this paragraph um, is such an important part of the building, whether we see a a crescendoing that's happening here. It's it's like... part of a piece of music that's building to page eight. These first eight pages are describing what happened to Bill and how he's rising up within this this lifestyle of his. And interesting here we see for the first for the for the next few years, fortune through money and applause my ways. My way I had arrived. Remember he said at the top of page two I'd proved to the world I was important, and here he was just one page later. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed. You know, we know that Bill's ego is large. He wanted people to follow him. He told us on the bottom of page one, my talent for leadership, I imagined, my talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. And here he is in in this uh, paragraph on page three. My judgment and ideas were followed. People were following. This is part of his dream to be a leader that people would listen to and even look up to. By many to the tune of paper millions, the great boom of the late 20s was seething. The word seething, boiling, intensely hot and swelling. And when it speaks to the boom of the late 20s, remember that this was the time of prohibition. The sale of liquor was banned, that it was beginning in January of 1920, there was a federal Volstead Act, closed taverns and bars and saloons. So this added to the excitement when it talks about, it goes on to say, drink was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. And I identify with this because my eating in large was in secret. It gave me great sense of excitement, what I could get away with. What was I getting away with? I, I mean, when I think about me sliding plates place under my couch and getting rid of the wrappers in my car before anybody could see, what was I really getting away with? But that is part of my disease, the risk-taking. Right across the page, he says, out of this alloy of drink and speculation here again he's talking about the risky behavior the sneakiness and the isolation i don't know if you can identify but i identify with this he's got a world going on in his head that becomes more and more powerful and more and more he's going to isolate like i did and it starts out with this excitement and this happy happy stimulating the word exhilarating means enliven, interestingly. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating, enlivening part in his life. And I found that in the beginning, the food was exciting. It was party time. It was all about excitement and food. And more and more, I became debtor and debtor, And that's what we're seeing here, the building up of Bill. Until he's starting out here, and he comes to a crescendo. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chatted in millions. Scoffers could be scoffed and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends. Why were they fair-weather friends? These were my eating buddies, and when I wasn't eating with them anymore, they didn't want to hang with me anymore. Thanks for letting me share that I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Ronnie P.
8: Uh, good morning, everyone. Ronnie P., a uh, recovered compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, he had arrived. How many times have I sought that feeling? You know, on the one hand, you could say that he had arrived, the money came in. But what he had really been chasing was a feeling. And in my addiction, that's what I chase is a feeling. And the feeling I chase is the feeling of having arrived. And it's some mythical entirely false but really seductive place that says all the hard work is done. I'm finished, and now I can just kick back and life will never have a ruffle in it again. I'll never have to break one more bead of sweat. I'll never have to feel one more uncomfortable feeling. I'll never have to have one more tough conversation, you know, with my spouse or with my kid or my boss. Um, Everything will be fine. And when you think about that, um, that's an impossible state, and it's an impossible state to maintain unless I use a drug that can alter my brain, and that is food. And with each bite, I get put into that state of having arrived, and it's so fleeting. It lasts a good, what, 10 to 15 seconds, but it's so powerful that I will go back again and again and again, and you know, with with Bill's story, I remember um, when I first came into program, I would read it and just think, well, that's not me. I mean, I don't work in high finance. Um, the, those aren't the kind of stakes that are in my life. But, you know, I would say to all the newcomers on the phone, look for just the thing when you strip it all the way down. What was it he was seeking? What was it that alcohol did for him? And ask yourselves, what is it that food does for me? And, again, if I strip it down, why would I need to keep eating and eating? And it's just because of the basic anxiety that comes from being alive. And being alive is having an uncomfortable feeling, (laughs) the tough parts, and having to somehow deal with it. Well, the way that I would deal with it, obviously, was either food, but then I would deal with it through ego and through blaming. And um, I had no idea I was doing it. And this program, my God, once I put down the food, And then really worked the steps. I can't believe just the floodlight of the spirit that has come into my life. So that today, the things that are uncomfortable, I can just call them for what they are. This is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. Um, I can't do it alone. I don't want to do it alone. And I can almost hear God, my higher power, saying, thank you. I've been waiting for that. So there's no need to pick up because of those uncomfortable things that we try to alter at once with a bite of food. There's no need because I'm not alone, and I'm not in charge. And once I realize it, then these uncomfortable things just become even a vehicle to get me closer to my higher power, ask, meditate, surrender, do my 10th step, and suddenly the next thoughts, words, and actions become things that I could not have planned. So this is a program of tiny miracles, but over the arc of time, lead to actually a pretty miraculous life. Um, And the fact that Bill, I I don't know what moved him. I I, I don't know what moved him to put it all down and to get it all together, except it was probably his 12-step desperation to keep sharing so he could hang on to the recovery that he had. Uh, And with that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ronnie P. Tina S.
9: Good morning. Thanks, Melanie, for your service. This is Tina S. Compulsive Eater and Anorexic. Um, Wow, some really good stuff here. Some great shares, too. You know, I, like someone else had shared, had a hard time to relate to Bill's story when I first started reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, You know, and also a recovering alcoholic. So, you know, I had no problem thinking, you know, I thought somehow that being a fallen-down, blackout drunk was much more glamorous than any issues with food that I might have had. Uh, And I also share that you know, food is my core addiction. So you know, when I read this, when I heard that paragraph read this morning, you know, I had arrived. That was almost the first time I think that it actually took me back to high school. I'm 57 years old, and I was a compulsive eater all my younger years, and then all the disease behaviors took over. And I remember being, I think, in 11th grade, and I had arrived, and I had arrived at the right weight, wearing the right clothes, uh, looking like my sisters, and. starting to be uh, attracted, having the the guys be attracted to me. And, you know, and then the Lunacy Commission again began, you know, with the dieting, actually not so much dieting, just not eating, the exercising, you know, and I had, you know, and I did speed at the time so that I wouldn't eat, and then I'd be up for weeks at a time. And, you know, it was just that craziness. And, you know, today, and I also heard it shared this morning, you know, I had arrived when I first came to recovery. I had arrived, you know, and, you know, that's not my initial abstinence date. My absent date is on uh, 1999. I came in 1987. But, you know, through the, the disease of, oh, I'll try this, I'll try that. in treatment, you know, there all, I learned a lot of things that I didn't know. So I tried that when I came out. But, you know, today, you know, the good news is, is that I have a God of my understanding that keeps me abstinent. And in recovery and working the 12 steps, I heard that at the conference, you know, I'm just not abstinent. You know, I am living a life of recovery today, one day at a time, so that I don't have to pick up a, a bite. So I don't have to pick up the food, so I don't have to pick up the drugs. So I don't have to pick up anything to alter my state. And uh, what a gift. And um, I really love this meeting, and I, I, too, had the opportunity to be at Virginia Beach, back in Florida now. But it was fabulous. So I thank you all, and I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Tina S. Who else would like to share on this particular um, paragraph? It's paragraph one on page three. Gail P. Hi, Gail P. Anybody else? Okay, we'll go with that, and then we can Rocky. move on. Oh,
10: oh, good morning, it's Bob. Hey
0: awesome. I heard Rocky. W. w. Hello, Rachel W. Anybody else? Leanne W. Oh, Leanne W. Too. Okay, who else? Anybody else? I thought I heard Linda one more R. Linda R. Linda R., okay. Devorah S., Devorah S., okay, let's go with that. That That might just wrap us up. We'll see how that goes. Thank you so much. We'll go back then to Gail P., please. Good morning, Gail.
4: Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. This is Gail P. from Chicago, and I can relate to several things in this paragraph, Bill said he was doing very well financially and that drink began to take an important, exhilarating part in his life. I can identify with this in that I started my own business about 18 years ago. The business had done uh, very well and uh, our disposable income increased and the more disposable income we got, the more we went out to expensive restaurants and food took and uh, took on an important, exhilarating, exhilarating part in my life. I loved eating in fine restaurants, and we would order a lot of food and wine. Uh, and And we would start, we would start with several appetizers, entrees, and of course, dessert. And the last part of the meal was the most important to me. Um, when we dined out, I felt rich. I felt like we were part of the beautiful people and there's nothing I enjoyed more than eating. I'd overeat at the restaurant and eat more when I'd get home, and in the morning I wanted to repeat the whole experience and I couldn't wait to eat out again. In fact, I would eat out um I um I would go, I would eat out again the next day, but this time it would be by myself going to various places to get my binge foods. And then the other part of this paragraph I relate to is where Bill said he made um, a host of fair weather friends. I did as well. And these friends were my eating buddies. And when I got abstinent, poof, these friends disappeared. They disappeared because I didn't want to eat with them or uh, some were angry that I was on a food plan and they didn't think that I needed to lose weight. Whatever the reason was, they were going just the same. And I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Gail P. Rocky E. Rocky E, star one, please. Excuse me, Melanie, did you call me Vasa O.? Hi uh, Rock, no, not Rocky just, E. Not just yeah. Hi Rocky. Not just yet, Vasa. Rocky E. Thank you. Good
11: morning, Rocky E. From New York, um, mm-hmm. in recovery. Um, this is the first time I'm actually sharing online, so it's a treat. Um, this paragraph is uh, this is this is a very big part of my story because um, I had arrived and you know, exactly what the dips were built. It was the words I had arrived to me says that the full-blown addiction, um, the high, the high of being arrived. Um, I had arrived with the husband who was um, in the market and making a big, my business that succeeded, the rush of feeling that high. And um, it was exactly that rush. It was an adrenaline rush. It was a moment to hold on to. And then later on it says, "Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions you know that 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 wow, do I identify with my life needing to always outdo itself? you know whatever high I was on you know in one minute, I had to just outdo that in order to stay in that adrenaline rush to stay in that addicted mindset. It was never enough and um you know that it was a feeling it was a feeling a feeling I'd arrived in success i i, I had the right partner, I had the right business um, i was I was on a high in every aspect, but extremely dead inside and um, and that feeling needed to be continuously numbed out, and that was the constant you know either you know spending the thousands and chattering in big money and you know living in that that constant adrenaline was exhausting it was exhausting. my memories of it is. There was a high. It was everything I could have wished for, and how miserable I was inside. And it wasn't working. And I was empty. And I was depressed. And I was sad. And it, you know, it didn't. It didn't work. That that I had arrived did not work. It did not give me that feeling that I had seeked and searched and thought would make my life feel at peace and serene. And um, you know, the scoffers could scoff and be be damned. Were the people around me who. We're noticing the craziness, and, um, you know, I didn't want to pay attention. The scoffers were people who were going, "Uh uh-uh, something's not right with this picture. Um, You know, I chose the people that would join my addiction and would um, celebrate with me the high and willing to either drink and spend and live and completely disconnected from a healthy state of being. So this is very much um, speaking to me today. So thank you. Thank you,
0: Rocky E. Rachel W. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. This is Rachel W., Recover Compulsive Overeater calling from New York. I'm just mesmerized by all these shares and resonating with everything being said pretty much. And, um, you know, um, in the paragraph when uh, Bill is describing his drinking as, you know, leading him to exhilaration, like it's an exhilarating experience. I know for me, with my food addiction, I know that it never took me into that place. It, 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 you know, the binging, um, turning to the food just took me into more isolation. Um, and just, you know, the, you know, the, the horror of living in, in that binge state. And, um, for me, you know, it was, it was my abstinence where I really experienced that exhilaration like was being shared. Um, and I know that I, you know, I, I had a, a chunk of abstinence where I lost a hundred pounds and, um, and I was definitely—that's uh, when I had arrived, you know, um, starting meetings and being in program, and uh, externally having this great job that paid well. And I was—I was doing these video promotion type of things, and just the whole picture, you know, doing kickboxing and swimming three times a week, and the craziness of of my schedule, and 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 I'm too busy, and I'm so busy, and whatever, whatever, and that 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 whole spinningness, you know, and 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 doing this while in the program, like while I was thinking i was working this you know the steps and and i say it with compassion because the truth is it's all a process you know i look back on that and say okay i had to go there but what it led me to thank god in in the fight out of that state was um was to the way i live now where i can experience something like i mean i've never gone on a motorcycle ride you know down the eastern seaboard it sounds very nice but i can experience something like that that's that's, you know, let's say outside or, or whatever, but I could really be there. I could really be authentically there. I can be there for my friends. I could be there for my family, for my children. I can actually, the relationships I have today don't compare because I, I'm seeking so much more of an authentic way of being, and that's what the steps do. You know, Bill talks about it in the, in the 12 and 12. He talks about how, you know, really at the at the core of this program, I mean, abstinence is obviously – we got to get that, you know, nailed down. And with that in place, it's all about constantly realigning myself with these steps. You know, it's not ever truly arriving. You know, and I'm thinking it's almost like these, you know, an archaeological dig where you're just fascinated by everything you find and you don't want to leave it. You know, you just want to keep mining whatever's there and it's fascinating and some of it's not so easy to look at and some of it could leave you feeling really nauseous or whatever. But the bottom line is that, um the more I stay in here, you know, the more I can have that type of life and and the good news is you know, thank God so many of you have have done this before me, and um I can reach out, and that's the key too is to create that anyone listening on the line that that's you know struggling or not, but the bottom line is to create that network and create a net you know so that you could always fall back on someone else and um just you know to check in and continue that process of realignment with the steps because, um, you know, the exhilaration I have now in even the smallest things doesn't compare with anything I experienced um, when I was placing my ego, you know, continuously placing it over, over God as my higher power. And now I just have to do a check-in to to monitor that, you know, and thank God I have the tools to do that for today. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you very much, Rachel W. Leanne W.
10: This is Leanne W from Massachusetts. Can you hear me?
0: I can. Good morning.
10: Oh, oh, good morning. Thank you for um, doing service, and I'm privileged and honored to be able to speak this morning. I'm usually on a commuter train heading into Boston, and uh, at this time, and listening in the midst of a crowd of people while I listen to a bunch of people. So this is really great that I can share, and um, I've I've really been struck by the readings these last couple of days and all the sharings because I can so identify with Bill, but my story is a little bit different. And when I was, we were reading this morning and I heard the host of Fairweather Friends, it just really reminded me back to a time in program when I was 28 and I'm 53 today when I came in. And I came in and I wasn't in a heavy body. I came in as a result of being in intensive care because of heart issues as a direct result of my disease. I was in a thin body and was rushed into the emergency room because my heart uh, pretty much had stopped. They brought me in, and they used the paddles on me to bring me back and bring my heart back. And then they put me in intensive care where the joke was I was the 28-year-old woman with the 80-year-old heart, which was really funny, I would imagine, but um, not so much to me, but for the grace of God, I had a cardiologist that came in, and this cardiologist looked at me and said, I want to know everything you do to remain in this size body. And, you know, I, I was so honest with him, which was such a blessing, and the whole thing was I, I really wanted to be thin because I wanted to, to belong. I wanted to feel accepted. I wanted to be a part of society. And so he had told me about a program of um, Overeaters Anonymous, and so it was through that that I came in. But I came in with an eating disorder that took me to such an extreme that the first thing that they did was they gave me the gray sheet. And when you have someone with an eating disorder and you give them gray sheet, my disease was up and running. But I felt such a belonging and I felt such acceptance those days in the program. And, you know, I was able to maintain a thin body, but I was adored and folks were asking me to qualify at meetings and people wanted me to sponsor them. I had so arrived that I just was on top of the world and then finally what happened of course was I didn't have recovery. I was just sort of maintaining this diet with group support and it just it couldn't last and I fell off and it what really struck me and I was was that as soon as my absolute broke, my fair weather friends were gone because I wasn't sticking with the winners, I wasn't going the meetings where folks were going, but I was searching, and I knew what I was searching for was my higher power, because I didn't have a higher power. My higher power at that time was was my diet. It was my food obsession, and you know, but for the grace of God, I came into this program. I came back to this program, because I left for a long time, and I came back, and I found this book, and I found these steps, and I began working it, and today I'm so blessed. I don't have the thin body that I had when I was 28, but I am, you know, my my head is clear. I have a higher power in my life, and I just feel so blessed. And I feel so clear. And it's no longer feeling as though I need to be a part of something because I, you know, I am a part of who I am, and I'm just happy to be here. So with that, I pass. thank you.
0: Thank you, Leanne W. Linda R. Good morning. Thank you so much. This is Linda R.,
12: Recovered in South Florida. And I, um, I so appreciate all the sharing today. I really identify with this paragraph. And what I underlined was that I had arrived as well because this just shows me, first of all, this is Bill's progressive nature of his disease. And the arrived, it's like the ego, such an ego inflation here. But the other line that I really underlined here was um, the one about, you know, spent in thousands and chatted in millions. For me, that's really the the dishonesty of the disease and the illusion. Like when I do an 11th step every night, I ask myself, was I dishonest? But I never realized that dishonesty is really what the lies that I told myself. And when I was in my disease with the food, you know, I was – In total denial, today, thank God, as a result of the program and the awareness I have, I tell myself the truth. And this was a no-God paragraph. There's no source here, no power beyond his will. And the other thing I just want to say is the money. You know, I have financial insecurity that comes and goes. I'm still, you know, growing in that area in my life. And to me, this is also a paragraph on people that are so financially insecure that they have to lie, you know, the paper millions, that is no God source. That is money source. People that are inflating the fact that they have more than they really don't have. So to me, this is really just a paragraph of the ego escalation in the program, the false pride, how people viewed me, you know, with my weight, with my body, with my money. And today, thank you, dear God, I have a program. I have the step work, and today I could tell myself the truth about that. One other thing, as far as fair weather friends, in the past I just didn't care who my friend was. Like I was just, I was such a people pleaser. But today I'm selective in who I want in my life, and that's where my network comes in. I'm just so blessed to have such support in the program from the fellowship. I no longer, you know, deal with a lot of civilians. Although I'm in the world, I am with civilians. However, through the traditions I can really apply that with the civilians in my life. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Linda R. Deborah S. You're next.
13: Yes. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. This is Deborah S. in New Jersey, recovered. Thank you, God. Oh, so great to hear everybody. Ditto, ditto, ditto to everyone. And what I just want to say is, yes, I too have arrived. I've arrived so many times, and I've taken off so many times. And you know, each time, you know, it looked so good. You know, it was so exhilarating. It was so great. Everything was great. And but you know what? As fast as I arrived, as fast as I took off, I I, I landed. It was a very heavy landing, and it was just never. Um, it was never long or or meaningful. It was just very, very fleeting. And, um, you know, and today I know, you know, and, uh, you know, I I also can say I arrived in this program and I lost all this weight and everybody was looking to me and I was a hot shot and blah, blah, blah and all that. But, you know, it was all in nothing. It was just on the outside it looked great. But in the inside I was struggling. I was not feeling, you know, uh, like I've arrived, you know, and I am I'm, I'm I had a lot of work to do, and I still have a lot of work to do, and I'm never going to arrive. And that's why this I love, you know, working the steps, because each morning I have another opportunity. Each day I have another opportunity to give myself to God and give myself to my higher power and to seek his will. And then throughout the day, you know, things happen. You know, and that's where I'm noticing, seeing a lot of my, um, you know, character defects with my selfishness, on, self-seeking and fear, and that's when I'm able to to stop and pause and 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 recognize it, and 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 seek what God wants from me. You know, well, how does God want me to behave today? And then at night when I do a, a an eleven step, you know, and just to go over it again. So these are constant reminders in this program about who I am and how fragile I am, and, and I need these steps to keep me, to keep me in tow. And, um, and I know today I have meaningful relationships with people in program and in my, in my family um, because, of, because of what I'm doing here with the steps, the work I do here each day, and so grateful. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Deborah S., and that ends our time today. Vasa O., I have you first up on the list for sharing in the next hour that's coming up right after announcements. Thank you so much for that. And thank you to everyone that shared this morning. It was a beautiful, vibrant share. And please join us for a second, unrecorded hour of study that's going to immediately follow after the closing here. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Martha Z. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only.
2: Thank you, Melanie. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask Him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick.